If you enjoy this podcast, please like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and visit our website at lifebetweenthevines.com. You know, we're not making sprockets at, you know, Stanley Sprockets at the Jetsons. Like it's, this is a cool job, but it's also, um, it's terrifying. And the, the weight and the responsibility of what we do is, I'm absolutely terrified and I lose sleep. I haven't slept well in years um, because to do this on the scale that we do across all the different um, labels and, 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 and vintages, um, it doesn't take much to screw it up. Discovering and tasting wine shouldn't be a homework assignment. And we believe that the people who are closest to wine have the best stories. So open a bottle. And welcome to podcast number 527. This week we feature John Scupney and Reed Scupney of Lang and Reed, Napa Valley. say it's been a long time since I sat down with Lang and Reed's John Scupney for a full-length interview would be an understatement. I interviewed John for podcast number 32 back in April of 2011. To be clear, I recorded John many times at Premier Napa Valley, among other industry events. But this time we're joined by his son Reed. Lots of laughing and good fun made this father and son team a great podcast. You can also hear John on our Vino Lingo segment defining the term Vandelane. You can also hear Reed defining the term quaffable. Oh, I have a feeling this is going to be a fun interview. I am in the room with John Scupney and Reed Scupney of Lang and Reed. And uh, man, it's good to be back because it's been a while. It has been. Thank you, Ray. My first time. Well, we saw each other pre COVID. Uh, right, but no, have known each other since since I started this in 2009. Yeah, and and probably a little bit before. Yeah. yeah. So in fact, I you were not far from this room because I remember was that dark here was before. Exactly. Yeah, it would have been. Yeah. The, and do you guys know each other? Do you have a Midwest connection prior to wine industry? No. 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 Okay. No. I I was as I said from Cleveland originally moved to Milwaukee and you were across the lake over in Michigan. Yep. So. And then on the other side of you in Minnesota. Oh. You didn't you didn't go to Michigan, did you? Nope. I went to the University of Kansas. Oh, there you go. Kansas City Art Institute. I only bring that up because I am, while not an Ohio State boy, I am a fan. Of course, we just got the shellacking of our lives last week. (laughs) Walk away from that. (laughs) I'm also a Browns fan, so you can say whatever you want. I'm okay with it. I'm impervious, man. (laughs) Well, having gone to KU, we always wait for for the... the basketball season. Yeah, well, <laughs> kind of what it's becoming. Okay, we should get back to All right, so wine. Talk to us, Ray. First thing I'm going to talk cheers. about. Yes, cheers. Salud. Excellent. That's going to be a good start. Lang and Reed, I'm going to let you, either one of you actually explain how the name came about, yeah. and uh, we'll go from there. Well, uh, first and foremost, was Scupney was not, on the, was not one of the options. You know, for two reasons. One, I learned a long time ago, you kind of can't sell your last name. You can sell your children, but you can't sell your last name. Uh, and number two, it seemed more appropriate for like a pickle company as opposed to a wine company. And the boys are still working on that part of it. Every year they they make me pickles in the summertime. When we named our two children, our two boys, uh, we do have a, a daughter also who's uh, not on the, on the masthead. Um, Reed and Lang came up because Reed is a maternal family name on my side, and Lang is a maternal family name on Tracy's side. So it became the boy's middle name. 
uh, Reed's first name was John. He changed mm. it when he came of age. Karmic, karmic things. Right, mm. numeric things. Yeah. And also he thought I was reading his mail, I don't yeah. know, oh. at 18. But he always went by Reed, and Jersey always went by Jersey, though I think he did one day where he asked us to call him Lang. It didn't work. Mm. But Lang and Reed had a nice cadence to it. Um, it. I was going to England a lot at the time, and everything was Robertson and you know yeah. and Smith and you know that sort of thing. So they are also family names. They're right. they're, they're maternal grandmothers' maiden names, and, and paternals some both sides. And so they, they do have some history behind them. Yep. And, and so where is, that history comes from, we don't know. And they're easy to spell. We yeah. we have many many derivatives of Scupney. Yeah, yeah I, I could get that. And uh, oh, yeah. but it is a unique name, and and I don't know. Maybe you could get away with it these days just because it is a unique name. Or Put another way, I've heard worse. Yeah, that's true. You know, I and I look at the cap scandies. I'm not sure I would have used that as a wine. Man, I tell you, I still can't pronounce it. But thank you for saying. I it still well. have trouble. <laughs> well, I think you know. I think the the naming is is a really good point because um, everybody in the valley, now being you know second generation in the valley, everybody knows John Scupney, and they say his last name correctly and they know oh you're a scuppy you must be related and there's only us here and yeah. i actually think it has some some credence to it now which oh. would be kind of cool you I know think so too yeah much like gunlock bunchu if you can spell it and say it you can drink it yeah so but on the other hand with gunlock bunchu watching jeff do the demonstration is well worth the price of it <laughs> it's kind of like but oh wait a minute what are you oh okay yep. so yeah it's fun stuff Actually, Jeff was our very first interview, too. Was he really? Yes, he was, back in 2007. And I actually heard that you are the longest-running wine podcaster. We are the longest-running wine podcast online. Congratulations, right? Thanks very much. Let's specifically go to the wines themselves. We have a couple sitting in front of you, and yep. our viewers aren't really going to be able to see them well, but we will have cutaway shots of the yep. wines. And uh, let's talk about what you make, and Reed, let's uh, have you talk through it. Absolutely. So uh, what we're drinking right now is uh, the Lang & Reed Chenin Blanc. We have a 2020, and we have a 2021. Um, and Dad and I have been working with this vineyard from Mendocino, uh, right in the Talmadge area. Uh, it, I believe it's called colloquially Norgard Vineyard. Uh, it's changing, so it's sold recently. Um, but this has been our bread and butter since 2013. Um, for Shannon. Right? For Shannon, yeah. Dad, so Mom and Dad have been making uh, Cab Franc solo since 95, 96. And then uh, Dad and I started collaborating in 2013, where we found this vineyard right here. Had some, some extra press juice that somebody was able to kind of sell on the top as bulk, we barrel fermented it, and we've been in love with it ever since. Um, we make it in a very Burgundian style. Um, by, by no means is it a secret, but we, we barrel ferment, we use multiple different yeasts. It's small, it's like 10, 12 barrels, um, and we love it. We, we, what I love about Chenin Blanc is it, it, it kind of transcends and finds that happy medium between Chardonnay and Sauvignon Blanc, which is what I do in my day job every day. And so it's this, this beautiful, full-bodied, clean, concise white wine that also is, is crisp and refreshing. Um, you can go heavy and dark. You can go light and, and easy. Um, we make it more on the heavier side, more, more full-bodied mouthfeel. Um, but at the same time, it has the lift at the end. And we, what we really want to do is, uh, there's so much unexciting Shannon out there that is remarkably unremarkable. Um, we think ours, in its tiny production, two, 300 cases on a good year. Um, is is much is leaning much towards uh, Vouvray style. Oh, nice. Um, and that that was our goal. We Megan and I got married and lived in France for a long time, uh, right outside of Vouvray in Chinon, and we just loved Chenin Blanc. And it's different. It's versatility. Um, you could have it sweet. You could have it dry. You could have it uh, mousseau. You could have uh, demi sec. You could have all these different Chenin Blancs, and it was all the same grape from a very small region, about the size of Napa, and you can't recreate that here in California. Yeah. But you can find little vineyards that are very specific to it. And uh, 
I never want to lose this spot. It's pretty cool. Yeah, the um, for me it was really a, a, a turning point where for 20 vintages, we over 20 vintages, we only made Cabernet Franc because mm-hmm. that was the focus and that was Tracy's and my, uh, the invention or the, the discussion we had in terms of what do we want to make, uh, how do we come about doing that? Uh, and to really focus it, I basically just stole a, a page right out of Dan Duckhorn's book, which was take an obscure variety and and make sure you love it because you've mm-hmm. got to drink it yeah. and, and, and fine tune it. Um, and when Reed and Megan were in France and had this experience with Chenin Blanc, when the discussions finally came about, well, this could really fit because it's equally as quirky as Franc. It also comes from the same region. And in its same way, both of us, two generations, were inspired by Cabernet Franc and Chenin Blanc same of, region. The, of the Loire yeah. uh, bent or style. Um, We've done this for a decade now, which is mind-boggling to me because it seems like a snap of a finger. Um, yeah. We're 27 years old now as a company. Wow. Uh, uh, 96, whatever that adds up to. But I actually made a prototype in 93, so we always have this kicker year where I wasn't legal till 96. How about that? Okay, that's fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> but it's really exciting to, to collaborate. Um, I was leery at first because we were obviously... You know, we're 30 years apart from each other, and we actually have fairly similar demeanors to each other. And when he was a teen, we had our times. Even now, (laughs) I've matured a lot. He hasn't, so it works out nicely. And we've only, in 10 years, we've only had two knockdown dragouts. Oh, only two. And it turns out I was right both times, so, you know. (laughs) Totally fine. (laughs) What else are you making? We That's make your specialty right there. The main lineup is we make two different Chenin Blancs. The Napa bottling has come and gone and is coming back again. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we started the Chenin in 13 from, from this vineyard from Norgard, the next year it was like when you buy a car, suddenly you realize oh, all these people have these cars. And it had taken us three years to find a vineyard mm-hmm. to work with uh, because there's not a lot of Chenin left. There's only 15 acres left in Napa. And there had once been 2,800 acres, 1980. I did not know that. Isn't that wild? Yeah. 2,800. Yeah, second only to Chardonnay, which were the 3,000 acres. Yeah. That was in 1980 when Tracy and I moved to California. That's really surprising. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Imagine 2,800 acres of Shannon around Napa. I can't. Yeah. Not, not by today's standards. Yeah. And it was mostly mid-valley. And when the Phylox, before the Phylloxera thing happened, it, it really, when the white wine boom happened, Shannon Blanc got left holding the bag someplace. And simultaneously the white Zinfandel boom happened. So the, the Shenans of that era was Charles Krug's largest production was Shenan Blanc. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, they were off dry. They were almost more Germanic in style. And so they kind of fell out of favor because the people who were drinking sweet went to trade it up from jug wines to white Zinfandel. Mm-hmm. And those who had been drinking sweet started to go into Chardonnay and then Chenin, or then Sauvignon Blanc. Sure, that would make sense. But the acreage was really turned over mostly to Cabernet Sauvignon. Yeah. Uh, there's been as much as a few years ago, there were 18 acres, and there's been a couple acres removed, and now there's some more plantings taking mm-hmm. place. John Williams at Frog's Leap had a couple acres in that he had to pull out for some mistaken identity to the rootstock or whatever. Um, the one acre we were working with, Oak Knoll, got Planted to cab, pulled out and planted to Cabernet. We have a, a new source uh, on the backside of Lake Hennessy, uh, 200 feet short of the Howell Mountain Appalachian, mm-hmm. that we started working with in 2022. 
a very small amount with four barrels. Five. We have a whopping five barrels of new Napa Show, yeah. And then next year, with 2023, a great grower in the Oak Knoll area, just a block or two from where we were sourcing originally, is coming back into bearing. Yeah. He's planted two and a half acres, which we're committed to 0.8 acres. So we'll get three or four tons. Yeah. What's interesting about this whole thing, and, and I'm sure most of our listeners understand what you plant is what you need to make your profit to keep your feeding the machine is what yeah. it is. Right. And, you know, Cab is king here. That's yeah. what brings in the bucks and other wines don't do as well. So it's, it is a bit of brave going into it. But the other side of that coin is somebody going, you're really dedicated to this. And, and that dedication shines through also in, in our mainstay. The, the main bread and butter of Lang and Reed is Cabernet Franc. And right. so uh, there's always been, every single year, there's been two iterations of Lang and Reed. We do, uh, back in the day, it was a, a North Coast, or I'm sorry, it was two Napas, uh, a, a more generic uh, wine of the week, and then uh, a Premier Etage, a labeled Premier Etage, and that was more of the wine for the weekend. Um, in 07, we went to a North Coast designation. Um, Cabernet Franc was being pushed out. Um, in the roaring 90s, Cabernet Franc was a little more affordable um, for a singular producer. And then um, in about the mid 2000s, um, we had to go to uh, different AVAs and different regions um, to keep it at a $29 bottle of wine. You know, right. Lang and Reed started at what, 20, $26.99? No, it was the first year that we, we simultaneously, this was in early 97, we yeah. simultaneously released, mid 97, we simultaneously released the prototype we made in 93. Mm-hmm. So it was now almost four years old. But how much? How much was it? Eight, uh, the 93 was 20. Okay. And then the new release, which was the 96, yeah. as almost a nouveau release, was 18. So And, and so and so those wine, that wine today is $29. Right. And so we've been able to have 27, 28, or, you know, vintages. vintages right. And we've gone up $10. And by doing that, we had to expand. Right. So we went to North Coast. Um, and it's gone back and forth. We still do a North Coast, but now our mainstay is more, mostly California. And yeah. by doing that, we had to enter in Sassoon, so just a little bit south of us here, with Alexander Valley, Lake. We a lot of our, um, a lot of our vineyards are in Lake County, um, in those nice high elevation red soils. Um, and that's actually what necessitated us mm-hmm. to broaden to the California appellation because of the fires since '15 yep. have been really adverse up in Lake County. Yes. Mm-hmm. So though we continued to buy grapes up there, a lot of them didn't make the cut. Yep. Um, it was yep. a financial risk for us. But since I've reached out to a couple of vineyards out in the Sierra Nevada, and now one that I've been working with down in Hollister, that's in the right. South Central a little bit of El Dorado. So. And, it, and, and the beauty of our of our regular release, our California, is that it's the consistent Lang and Reed. You know, it's it's not just a bottle of Cab Franc; it's a bottle of Lang and Reed Cab Franc. And that that typicity and that that house palette um, that John's here able to to recreate of year is really uh, amazing. You've done okay. Yeah, he's done all right. Yeah. And then uh, on the other Cab Franc side, we we play with a lot of uh, we have uh, our Napa Valley Vineyard, which is a Sugarloaf Vineyard down south. Um, the specific clone, the 214, which is the uh, Auntie 214 clone, uh, specific Loire planting of Cab Franc here in Napa. It was proposed, you know, proposes the first planting of a non Bordeaux clone in Napa. Oh, really? Um, yeah, and now commercial there's a bunch, size. commercial size, yeah. And it's just gorgeous. It's, it's the, the exposure, the elevation. Um, it's right over the bay and cold, so it's Napa Sun, but San Pablo Bay cold. Um, and that's, that's really our flagship. From there, there's been some uh, some real reserve wines. We call it the uh, the monograph collection. Right. Twenty five cases of this, fifty cases of this, with a lot of age on them. 
Which is a lot of fun because a small group like that can really want to get that wine. Exactly. And, you know, when when we opened up the Spring House here, which is our retail uh, facing to to wine lovers, those things really hit hit the right stride. Uh, Taking 17 cases into national distribution is really impossible. And uh, distributors, for all that they can do to help support us, uh, they get pretty focused, and when you only have two SKUs or four with two reds, two whites, uh, bringing a new one in to them and trying to explain, oh, well, I've, I've aged this for 10 years. You know, first I gave it more barrel age with a newer barrel set than I normally would, and then we've aged it for 10 years, and now I'm going to give you three cases, and I mm-hmm. want you to sell it to only so-and-so. They, they just couldn't wrap their heads around it. Yeah, I'm sure they could if it had been Cabernet Sauvignon, because that's done all the time. Uh, but when we opened here in the spring house in the spring of 21, we suddenly realized that this is what people want to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, they appre- most people come here knowing our our what we call the Vandelinay or the California bottling, or one of the Shenans, and then they see the rest of the array that mm-hmm. we really pretty much sell only here yeah. uh, and online through our Nothing store. Wrong. Nothing wrong with that. No, it's yeah. been great. I, it, it really amazed me because I've always been, uh, I've always, you know, a streak of hippie in me from the time of going to art school. I always wanted to make wines that I personally could afford and that I could, I could appreciate that it was value driven in a certain way, not just because it's price, because I believe a hundred dollar bottle of wine can be value driven. Uh, but not as easily as a twenty nine dollars. Just it depends on the skew and angle you look at. Yeah, it. exactly. And what your what your you know bank account looks or like. Or what you're driving. Yeah. yeah, right. You know, and I, I think of uh, uh, other great wines in the world. And I had this conversation with somebody yesterday who was a big fan of Oue, uh, which is really the 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 preeminent yeah, Shen house of the Shen in house Vouvray, yeah. in Vouvray. And they're they're an incredible bargain. I, I buy a, one case a year of mixed. Mostly dry, and I think I pay thirty-seven dollars a bottle, oh and, and and I equate this to, uh, you know, uh, Pouligny Monarchet of the finest producer, which what you can't touch after under one hundred and fifty dollars a bottle today. I'll trade your case. <laughs> I'll take your pooling. I'll give you a break. Right. Yeah. Anyway, so we still try to, to drive that message too. That okay, so we're now the two fourteen is ninety dollars retail. We make 300 cases a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, it hits just the right chord to people who not only appreciate Cabernet Franc, but also appreciate really fine Napa Valley wine. Okay. And then we have the Tuesday-Wednesday version. So yeah. I want to get back into a little bit of history now. We've, yeah. Again, we did a podcast with you, John, six, seven, eight hundred years ago or something <laughs> like that. I, I, I should look it up, but it goes back to... Is this to the, the log cabin? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, yeah. we were writing the tree branches. I had no silver, <laughs> but you always did. <laughs> <laughs> That's how far it goes back. <laughs> but it's great to be able to do that because I've known you for a long time. And yeah. it's fun to be able to come back and see you and your wife and, and now seeing the family moving in. But um, that's where I was starting to go with yeah. this is that you grew up in this wine family. Yeah. And uh, it was around you all the time. Uh, did you, A, want to escape? B, did you escape? And C, this, was this something where like, yeah, I want to do this? So I had, uh, yes, uh, you know, growing up in St. Helena, uh, it was very varsity blues. Like it's a very small town where, you know, you kind of, it's, it's, it's pretty easy living here. And so, uh, there was not a lot of adversity growing up in the small town and, and wine was all around us. It was, 
uh, every every day was every person was involved in the wine industry to some degree. Um, I, I mean, I think we we joke about how I hated the industry, but mostly I think that was just because it was I didn't have any interest in it. You know, it took my dad away. He traveled three weeks a month for the first fifteen years of my life, um, and and wine wasn't exciting for me. Um, that being said, the there was no aha moment, but there was certainly um, about college-ish. I, so I escaped to Humboldt County, um, went to Humboldt State for a long time. Uh, could have could have been a doctor with as long as I spent in college, but uh, I was going to make a comment yeah. about for a long time. Yeah, no, it was, it was a good run, <laughs> and uh, and uh, you know, towards the end of college, I was I was embroiled in this. Uh, I have a degree in anthropology, uh, f- uh, mostly physical and uh, cultural, and. That was going nowhere. I was highly stimulated, and I love I love the degree. I, I still think it's fascinating. I practice uh, and read today. I keep up on it, um, but it certainly wasn't going to pay out. And so uh, I think my junior senior year in college uh, wanted another year off uh, to go abroad, and I came down here to Napa, and moved back in with my parents, and worked for Palmire in 2013. Um, at 2006. I'm sorry, 2005. Five. I'm, I'm, You're right. Yeah. So 2005. Took a, took a year abroad, came down here, worked Harvest, and it was fantastic. So, you know, Palmar, one of the higher-end wineries out there, um, we were working in a large custom crush facility, and really got to cut my teeth as the lowest man on the totem pole in a very large custom crush facility working for an independent winery. And, you know, their, their standard operating procedures and were, were just bar none the best in the world. And it was, it was really nice to grow up in this, or to have my first real wine job as there are no exceptions to the rule of cleanliness of attention to detail and quality um and it was quite large i want to say 200 tons or something around there don't quote me but uh it was it was huge for me i'd never seen that many grapes before um and then i did back to back um in january then i flew down to new zealand and i did a back to back harvest in marlboro at this three thousand thirty thousand ton production uh sauvignon blanc facility where i pushed a button on a 30 ton hopper and moved you know wonderful cheap so I mean, I'm blocking to a went to work at 11 at night as the gondolas had all rolled in. Yeah. And you so, know. you know, I would be there and I would, you know, sit there and smoke my cigarette and push the button and the hopper would come up and I'd pump 30 tons of Sauvignon Blanc into four different presses. And that's what I did for 12 hours straight. And it's, throw buckets on each other. Oh yeah. We had a, we had a blast. And of course I was, you know, young and single and, uh, my, my, my wife who I'm married to now, we were dating prior to that. We'd broken up. And, and so we were in this nice in-between period. So it was, it, life was grand. Went to New Zealand to shake it off. Did you? Went to New Zealand to shake it off. Ironically, she was down there. I didn't follow her. And, uh, we got back together in New Zealand post-harvest and we've, Got two lovely kids and been married for committed at that point forever. I can't remember how long we've been married, um, and so, so after that, I had this kind of uh, crossroads where I really enjoyed the wine industry. Um, I kind of had a knack at it and I had an inn with a family name, and um, so I came back to California, finished my year, uh, my last senior. I year. can add one little bit here. Right. He came back from New Zealand. He said, "I said, what are you going to do this summer, Reed?" Because he. He, we'd talked a lot when he was in New Zealand because mm-hmm. negotiating this, getting back together with Megan was yeah. was fraught with drama. Yeah, there were things. As, really, as, that's as, completely as unusual. Yeah. I've never right. heard of such a thing. And so he said, uh, well, Dad, you know, Master of Wine is doing their their oh, yeah. international symposium in Napa. It had been the first time. Has it been that long? Yeah, it is. And he says, uh, if you take me to the, the symposium, uh, I'll, you know, I'll come home and spend the summer. Yeah. And I said, great. So he comes home and we were talking and mm-hmm. while we were at the symposium it was we had lunch and uh, Jan- Jancis Robinson sat with yes. us 
And I'd known Jancis for a number of years from my three weeks on the road every month. And Reed later after that day, he says, I don't know why I've always fought this, but I really, cool. I really want to do this. He says, in fact, I think I'm going to change my major. <laughs> and I said, you know, Reed, you know, my experience has taught me that an anthropology degree is a fabulous undergraduate <laughs> to then be a winemaker. Yeah. And I said, but really on a practical basis, you only have seven credits left. Yeah, don't, like start, just, just don't reinvent the wheel now. Get it course. done. And then you have a choice. You could go to graduate school at Davis or, or yeah. Fresno, or you could go work somewhere else in the world. I said, because you already have a leg up two ways, because you've worked at a top-notch producer in Napa Valley. You've also worked top, you know, in a, in a named producer in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. I said, I've never worked anywhere but Napa Valley. Mm-hmm. So you got a leg up on me. So yeah, he wound up going to... Yeah, so graduated... Uh, my, my wife, Megan, and I, uh, we, we, she moved back from Georgia. She's from Atlanta originally, so she moved back from Georgia um, for my last year in college. Um, and then at the end of that stint, we, we sold everything we owned and moved to France for a year. And we have a, we have a connection with the Baudrys in Chinon and Cravant Lake Coteau. And they said, whenever your sons are ready, move them out. So I, moved to, I worked a quick harvest for them. Ended up spending almost a whole year there. We got married um, at a little chateau in, in Beaumont of our own. Cool. It was pretty cool. Yeah. And uh, and then we moved back to California, freshly married, heavily in debt, and uh, you know no prospects. And and it was great. You know, the American dream. I know. So we moved back in with them for a couple months, which was really good. Uh, uh, it was a really good way to get a job really fast and move out. <laughs> and so um, I they got painted the whole inside yeah. of the house for us. Oh, so, that's you know. good. Yeah. And so I'll skip over that. You know, the next decade from '09 to. Um, uh, to about five years ago, I've worked uh, uh, for about four or five different producers uh, for Antica, the Antonori family, um, or for Kirk Mangy for a long time, a little stint with Melka. So I've been all over the place. And uh, just recently, I've, I work full time as uh, Russell Bevan's associate winemaker for all of his custom crush clients. And so that's my day job. And my, my passion project is working with my dad at Lang and Reed. And it, we have a nice balance now. It's not been easy. Um, but we, I think we listen to each other more now. Yeah. You know, and and to be honest, you know, he hasn't changed in 40 years. Whereas I really think I've grown and matured over the last decade. And I think I'm giving a lot to meet him in the middle, which is nice. So it's kind of going like this. Absolutely. You know, like I'm really, I'm really trying hard to meet him on his level and it's nice. I think you're doing a fine job. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) I didn't realize we had Laurel and Hardy going on here today, but hey. That's okay, I don't mind. I got to take You're lucky Jersey's not here. Yeah, because <laughs> then they really start beating up. On oh me. my God! <laughs> so, all right. Yep. Let's see where we're at. Yeah, and, and so since we're on a pause, it, what uh, do you have any goals? Like, what do we have to cover if we run out of time? No, we're we're getting close. Because okay. we could chat forever. Yeah, I know. I, okay. Well, I, I've talked to John before. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. And I'm still sitting here. What word am I gonna define? Yeah. <laughs> stall, man. Stall. <laughs> How many vintages again, John, before I forget? Uh, 27, I think, is the... We celebrated our 25th anniversary last year, but it was delayed because of COVID. Mm, I've heard of that. Yes. Okay. And we're back. Yep, exactly. That's good. I'll use that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, one thing that I think is really key, um, because it took me... I didn't come out of this whole idea that the next generation was going to take over with just Mm -hmm. like, oh, let's just do this. Um, it's still fraught with, you know, the idea that, well, my father worked for Ford Motor Company and he said, 
you have a lot of choices in your life, and he was very kind to let me go to art school, which I actually have utilized in, in my life career. Um, but he said, you know, if you get caught up in something for too long, you know, it's really hard to unwind yourself from it. Because when he, he retired, he got to retire when he was 56 years old, um, after 30 years working for them. And, um, and within a year, the first couple of years, he was like, I could see him getting older and aging. And then he just suddenly mm -hmm. decided, that the flip, he flipped the switch and said, I'm not doing that anymore. And I'm going to pursue these things. And took on a couple things in his life, like volunteerism. Mm -hmm. uh, he worked at St. Clement as a weekend warrior for 18 years. Um, and lived to 94, yeah. you know, um, and lived a good life doing that. Um, the, uh, so the, they're all kind of helping me think this through. Right. And, but what I really appreciate now is the, the first few years we worked together, Reed had like three professional years under his belt besides the three internships. And I've seen a lot of things change. I mean, I got here, I still have one foot in the past of Napa Valley, which is the historic part, working mm -hmm. for guys like Charlie Wagner and buying grapes from Lori Wood and knowing who Chuck Carpey is and what truck he drove. And hmm. um, the change in technology, the change in the vineyards, it's been, you know, Tracy and I have lived in St. Helena 38 years, but we've been in California for 42. But seeing Reed in the last 10 years mature as a winemaker, and mature is understanding the positioning of all these different varieties, all the mm -hmm. different terroirs, all this, to have a really good grasp on it, where I know that I feel more assured that he won't let my vision go away, mm -hmm. but what he can do is improve upon it. Well, We've already started to see that happen. Mm -hmm. That's moving forward. Right. Mm -hmm. It is moving forward. Yeah, and that's a great thing about having family as part of that, having that different approach. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip ahead to the question that I was starting to allude to before because um, you both may need to think about this for a little while. Yeah. So I'm going to start with you, John, for okay. this. And that'll give you yep. Reed, the chance to think about it. I know you've done plenty of media, as you've done it with me in the past, but um, for all those times, what's the one question that you've never been asked that you would like to be asked? Oh, um, that is a tough one. I, you know, I could go back to my art school days and, and, um, and maybe do it not on a super positive way, but the question of, you know, what are you most afraid of in what you do? Or the answer to that is, it's just like when you get the call and they say, would you send us a whole set of samples? And it was the same thing in art school where every Friday we'd have portfolio review. Oh. Now, every two weeks it was the important one because that was when the professor sat there and, and was actually grading you on it. But the odd, odd week was your peers. Mm -hmm. um, so it was important to make sure that I had it all buttoned up for the professor, but it was my peers that I was most afraid of, is that I'd wake up in that morning in a sweat thinking that they'd think I was joking, mm -hmm. that I wasn't really serious about this, that... Um, that um, that what what inspires me has no legs to it, that type of thing. I suppose that's the question that, you know, bankers always ask you that question is, you know, what, what makes you lose sleep at night? And I always have to answer you guys, <laughs> you know, but, but I, I suppose that's part of it is, you know, the, when we started Lang and Reed, we wanted to have that, there was a joie de vie about it. Uh, I thought that, a lot of time, you know, we'd lived here over a decade and a half by that time. 
I started to feel like we were taking ourselves too serious here. Um, I love John Williams's sense of frivolity to the frog thing and you know everything. But if you do that a lot, oftentimes people might say, well, that's not a very serious pursuit of that. Um, but I think about it a lot. I mean, I think about the, the Vandalone more than I think about the 214, because the 214 is really up to the vineyard total terroir thing and the guys who grow the grapes there for us. We only can move that bar so far. Uh, with the California, that's a very creative process because I'm working with upwards of seven different vineyards in any one vintage or as little as three. And how do I get all those pieces of the puzzle to fit to where it, it, it answers the question that we want, which is to make something that's enjoyable, uh, affordable, um, and that work within you know the harmony of the four constituents of what wine's for which is the wine the food the friends and the venue and like a quartet jazz yeah. or classical when the quartet hits that certain tone um none of the four parts stand out too much so i suppose that's it is like are you serious somebody goes, are you serious you know no. Yeah, I suppose I'm serious. I, I, I keep a light heart about some things, mm -hmm. but there's other things that I think constantly. Whenever I'm in the truck is my favorite time. They joke about my little truck. I feel, uh, the, I feel the same way. Uh, the, the car is one of the most relaxing places ever. I can yeah. understand that. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I think for me, um, I might go a little darker than you. Uh, what I never get asked is, do I like my job? Um, hmm. People just assume I do. Yeah, sure. Well, because we get to drink wine and, and we play in the vineyard and we work with fun dynamic people and um it's lucrative and it's it's sexy um it's got the 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 certain little je ne sais quoi to it that's really um it's you know we're not making sprockets at you know stanley sprockets at the jetsons like it's this is a cool job but it's also um it's terrifying um and the, the weight and the responsibility of what we do mm -hmm. is um i'm projecting a little bit here uh, in my life and where i am now uh I'm absolutely terrified and I lose sleep. I haven't slept well in years um, because to do this on the scale that we do across all the different um, labels and, 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 and vintages, um, it doesn't take much to screw it up. And it's uh, remarkably transparent when something happens. Um, when you look at the legacy of Lang and Reed, if, if dad and I keep hopefully working together for years and years and then, and then it transitions into us, it's, um, how does one live with, uh, you know, much like Atlas in the world on his shoulders? That's terrifying. And that's what I trip out about. I'm, I'm about to be 40. I got two lovely kids, a uh, white picket fence and a new dog and life's grand. Uh, but I, again, I haven't slept well in years with the weight of what we do. Um, because it is fun and easy, but it's so transparent. You, you have one shot, you have one vintage and there's no redo that one yeah there's it, no revisions it's kind of the rubicon i, I remember when i was working at at uh Nibon coppola uh which was kind of my last legitimate paying job when I, I remember when we stopped going to tahoe a lot <laughs> <laughs> i was really good at skiing for a while there right. then you, then you, oh, you guys solo. were starting to get into snowboards i, I wasn't gonna <laughs> let that happen but I, I worked with scott mcleod and, and tony soder and we had a lot of conversations and we were up against a bottling and and scott was like he was the winemaker, in fact, uh, on mm -hmm. the ground. And he was, like, beside himself. He's a great guy, and, too. And yeah, I he's said, a good man. I said, Scott, you know, you're all out of sorts. I said, you know, 
come on, this is your job. This is what you do every year. You know, two, three times a year we get the bottling. You know, he says, it's just easy remember, one bottle. Yeah. He says, just remember, John, we, you know, it's just like signing, you know, making a contract with somebody that's going to last for a long time. He says, once I put the cork in the, in the bottle, I can't change it. Right. And, and he said, that's what I lose sleep about. Yeah. So it's like any other business. It will, uh, it will haunt you, much like the ghost you were talking about before. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, obviously, we have a wonderful tasting space here, uh, yeah. the Spring House, which is really great and very fun and incredibly cozy. Uh, if somebody would like to come visit you to taste, is it by reservation, I'm assuming? Yes, we do. Uh, we're on talk um, for a reservation group. Uh, we, see, we don't do parties over six. Uh, it's always best when it's two or four people. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a lot of diversity of spaces because we have our own little suite that we do most of the tasting in. We've got the boardroom where we're here today where we do larger groups. Um, and we've got the living room for more casual if people just want to sit and have a glass of wine. Mm-hmm. Or the front porch. That's the killer is the front porch. That A lot of people come here with reservations to go have lunch somewhere or dinner somewhere. Mm-hmm where they'll sit on the front porch and I can read their minds. They're pretending they live here in St. Helena because it is a beautiful old 1902 uh, Victorian. It's on what was the promenade street of of St. Helena, the foundation street, which was Spring Street. And we're we're centrally located, so right, if you're familiar with St. Helena, we're right across from Goose and Gander, um, one block off Main Street. So walkable distance with ample parking. Um, it's a pretty cool spot. And right around the corner from Joel Gott Station. Absolutely. You want to put a little pitch in there for Kerry Gott. And yep. I try to Kerry say Gott. I do fabulous. like Kerry Gott. Kerry Gott's a great guy. Yeah. You know, just about a year ago, I had a 1975 Montevina Zinfandel when he owned Montevina. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. And I just, for some, I, it was somebody's birthday who happened to be born that year. And it was the only 75 I could put my hands on it because I had always promised Kerry I'd open it with him. And I didn't. Uh-oh. And it was brilliant. Be fine. <laughs> you know? Well, with any luck, maybe Carrie will listen to this. Yeah. I'll pose this to you, Reed. For our listeners who'd like to learn a little bit more about Lang and Reed from Reed, yeah. what is your website? www.langandreedspellitout.com. That's it? Yep. And, and you can reach us there on the website. You can call us. If you call the office and a lady answers, what's the phone number? 707-963-7547. That's right. Uh, if it's a woman, it's either my mom or my wife. If it's a man, it's my dad. <laughs> So we're pretty easy to get a hold of. Um, uh, we hope to see you soon. It's the family operation. Guys, this has been a lot of fun. It has. Great having the two of you together. Great seeing you again, John. So thank you both. Very thank much. you, Ray. Yeah, thank time. you, Ray. Learn more by visiting langandreed.com. Thanks for listening to the longest-running wine podcast online. Subscribe to the podcast at lifebetweenthevines.com or sign up to our YouTube channel. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Life Between the Vines comes to you from Fifth Floor Recording Company in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Produced and edited by Ray Fister. Our host is Kay Paskoff. Our web geek is Dan Gieschen. Original music by Ray Fister. Copyright 2023.